Guys, welcome to episode 30 of the Grad Life Podcast. We made it this far. I started it in 27, 16, I think. 16 or 17. Jesus, it took a bloody while to get to 30. Um, and we've got <laughs> Daniel Hines here, who I know through uh, Millennial of the Year. Dan was mm. the founder of Millennial of the Year, uh, which we'll run through. And he also works for Accenture and is a ripe old, I'm going to guess, 25 years old. Yeah, exactly. Um, three years out of college. Three years out of college and closer to 30 than 20. Unfortunately, yeah. that's what 25 meant for me. Did it hit what, you? Uh, it didn't, it didn't. I kind of, whenever it comes up to my birthday, I, I always try and guess I'm a year ahead. So like when, I, when I'm about to turn 25, about six months, I, I tune my head to like, I'm 25 now. So when I actually turn 25, it doesn't hit me. Yeah, I actually do the same thing. Yeah. I go in and out of these things. Because I, I, I remember when I was 25, literally from day one, I felt 26. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then when I turned 27, I kind of still felt 26 a bit though. Yeah, and I, but I think it's a mindset thing. I've been t- thinking and talking about this a lot recently. Getting older and whether it's a mental thing or a physical thing. But do, do you? Are you big in your birthdays? Like, will you have a meal? Will you get people around, or do you just let them pass? Because I'm happy to just do nothing. But then people always give out to me, and I come on, we'll do something. But I'm happy just to let them slide. Traditionally, mm. my my birthday uh, thing, which is ridiculous, was to have Indian three meals a day. So I guess uh, Marks and Spencer's Indian heated up for breakfast. And then go and get an Indian takeaway for lunch and go out for Indian. <laughs> that is absolutely... I couldn't do that whatsoever. Yeah. So nobody wanted to hang out with me the next day. God, I'm never going to, I'm never going to birthday parties. No, I don't do that anymore. I don't know what I did. this. Yeah, I went to Spain this year. So I was the same as you. I would never do anything for your birthday. And then I'm kind of just uh, getting used to the idea that, like, or buying the idea that you need to enjoy life and, mm. and make them... I have a friend, Aaron, who's incredibly good at just enjoying life. And mm. I've traditionally not been that good at it. I was always goal oriented, etc. Yeah, so I'm trying but, to get better. And it's so because I know I'm all for goals. I'm all for goal orientation. But you have to enjoy the journey along the way. Yeah, because that's the majority of the time that you're spending it with. So, but it's 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 so much easier said than done, especially now because I feel as you get older, just time goes so much quicker. I know people are probably out there thinking, "God, you're 25. Shut up. You know, mm. you've so much time." But time just goes so much quicker because we were talking about the last time we saw each other, which was about maybe three or four months ago. Yeah. But like, it just seems like yesterday. Yeah. To me. And I was, I don't know where it was. I think it was um, that book was a Sapiens. They were saying, they're trying to give theories of why you experience time differently. And one of them was, so let's say between the age of six um, or between the age of four and five, that year is 25% or 20% of your life. So the year is a bigger thing in your head. Sure. But as opposed to 60 to 61, that one year is only what, less than 2%. Mm. So you don't actually grasp it in the same way. So that's, our, and that was the one theory. The other thing that people said was, it's just a lack of new events in your life. You know, just life as, as time gets older, gets a bit more monotonous. You've experienced things uh, a lot more often. So things don't catch you off guard. And for that reason, you don't expect, you experience time slower. But I don't know, I like the first theory. I would definitely subscribe to the first theory more. And another example mm. of that is, and I've been the grad here, <laughs> Where you ask a grad, you hate your job, when are you going to leave? And they'd be like, mm. oh God, well, I couldn't do another three months of it anyway. Like it has to be before three months. And you yeah. talk to someone who's about to retire and they'd say, oh yeah, I'll squeeze another five years out of it maybe. I really want to go now. So five more years and then I'm done. Yeah. And you're thinking five years and a grad would, would a grad thinks in weeks, you know? It's, and, and because of that, I don't know who it says, and I'm not a big Tony Robbins fan, but he says something like, yeah, you overestimate what you can do in one year and underestimate what you can do in 10. Yeah, that's And it. it's so true. And people coming out of college especially, uh, just forget that, you know. And I remember coming out of college and uh, going into Accenture and thinking, look, I'm, I mightn't even do the full two years of the programme. Might just do one year and move on. I, but, you know, I've been there for two and a half years now, nearly three. And sure, it feels like, it feels like one. You know, it feels like one year and it just... You just need, if I'd give myself one piece of advice, it would be kind of slow down. You have a lot more time than you think. Uh, and I kind of regret, because I spent the last three years in Accenture and at each point of those years, I've always thought, you're going to be leaving in the next six months. And, I've, and, and because of that, I could never really fully settle. Right. And I just wish going back now, I say to myself, just give it time, give it two years and enjoy it instead of constantly thinking, where will I be in six months? Yeah, right. You know, it's funny. I had my good friend used to be in Accenture, and I used to think in these monthly increments as well. And uh, mm. he, I don't know where he heard it, but he adopted this idea of every Christmas review it, and then between yeah. Christmases, don't think about it. 
because I would be sitting in Isaac Macquarie and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to leave now in a couple of months. And I kept, I kept kicking that can down the road, exactly what you're saying. And he was like, no, no, every Christmas I'll check in. Will I do another year of this? Yeah. And then he'd say, okay, I will. And then he wouldn't think about it again until the next Christmas. And That's he just kind of did it. It was more, it takes more mental it's a huge state, skill, I mentally. Say. Yeah. It's an incredible skill. I, I, hopefully I'll be able to do that down the line. I couldn't do it now. But, and like you pay for that because then you can't make plans. Like again, if you know you're going to be somewhere for two years or three years, you can make plans for those three years. You yeah. Know? You could like, let's say I was there, I've been there in Accenture for three years. If I just said from the start, I'll be here for that time. I could have sat all the CFAs and be quali- a, a qualified yeah you know, chartered financial advisor, analyst, whatever it is. But I always said to myself, so I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be in Accenture and thought I might want to be in finance, but I always said, no, I won't study for the CFAs because I won't be here in six months. I won't be here in 12 months. So it's not worth it. But if you just sat down and said, look, even reviewed every Christmas and give yourself that year, you can make those plans. But if you don't, you just end up paying for it. You know, yeah. you just, you, you, it's such a short-term mentality of thinking. Commitment is a massive enabler. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, it really, really is. Uh, especially even thinking, like even people who want to move abroad, let's say. So I think, especially when you're graduate, you have, right, one, I might want to move on to a new job, I'm not sure. But two, I might want to leave the country. Because I think most people, a lot of people I know anyway in Ireland, know they're coming back. So for me, spending the majority of your 20s, or a lot, all of your 20s in Ireland, for me is a bit of a sin. And I always wanted to kind of move abroad. Uh, but if, again, so if but if you're able, a lot of people, if you know you want to stay in Ireland and you know you're going to be here for 10 years, that commitment, like you said, is a huge enabler. Yeah. You could buy a house, you could save so much money, yeah, you know. unbelievable, yeah. And in the yeah. context of relationships, same thing as well. Mm. So there's a few things there we're going to talk about down the line. But um, mm. on that topic, coming out of college, goals by 25, did you have goals laid out for yourself for where you thought you would be or what you thought you would achieve by, even if it isn't 25, 30, like a certain time. Yeah, I don't, I, rather than remember my goal, I remember my friend had a goal and I kind of wanted to latch on to that. It was, it was, I mean, all goals looking back now seem so stupid back when I was 20, but he ha- he wrote himself, you've probably heard of this, a check for like 1 million uh, euros and he made it to himself for five years time. Yeah, and he put in his Jim wallet. Carey. yeah. Is yeah. it? He and that, and yeah. he carried that along with him and I was like, that's pretty cool. And I was like, geez, I'd love to be a millionaire by 25, but sure, it, that you, as you slowly or sorry, maybe quickly find out that's not a, that's not a, a reality. But in general, I didn't have, I just didn't even know where I was going, to be honest. So mm. I didn't have, I didn't have any goals. I probably wanted to, I studied international business in Chinese. So one of them probably would have been to be fluent in Chinese. Yeah. Uh, so since I've left China, and I haven't spoken it for about three years. So that that goal is probably was probably one of the major ones and I haven't achieved that. Um, Do you but, know, can I say something that might depress you? Once you yeah, achieve please. it, you won't know you've achieved it. And then you'll be like, oh, maybe I've achieved it now and then you'll just move on. Because that yeah. happened to me with Spanish as well. Really? Yeah, my huge, like really rigid goal was I'm going to be spa- fluent in Spanish by this time. Mm. Then I went down to South America and I realised I was conversing fully in Spanish. And I was like, oh shit, I'm fluent. <laughs> And then I was like, I just moved on. And now I can barely, not that I can barely speak. I can still yeah. speak it well, but not where I was at that point. It just peaks and then yeah. it's no longer a focus anymore. And you just kind of move on. I it's hope, a weird thing. Surely it, it, surely it, come, it comes back very easily though. It I'm does, hoping. yeah. It yeah. certainly does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, coming out of college, I didn't have any major goals for when I was 25. I'd, I genuinely had no kind of clue what my plan was after college. It was either go back to China or stay in Ireland. And uh, I, I mean, I only applied for, I only applied for one job and that, and that actually was Accenture. And I only applied for that job because I knew, known a couple of people in a society in UCC that had uh, been working there and they told me about it. And I said, look, I'll apply for that anyway. That seems good. Right. Uh, but, and that, that like, and I suppose one, one piece of advice I always give to a couple of my brothers now who are coming out of college, which is. People see that they come into fourth year and they think, right, my goal should be to get a 1-1, you know, or do very well in college. But I always say, if you're in fourth year college, your goal is paperwork, like 100%. Your goal is to apply to as many jobs as you can, because people don't, people get kind of bogged down in a 1-1 or a 2-1. If you can get either of those, that's good. And people kind of, there's not, don't make too much of a distinction, especially in companies down the line you should at the start of fourth year be focused on your paperwork and because there's nothing more exhausting and demoralizing 
than applying for jobs. Yeah. Because it, it takes up so much time and you're doing, you know, you could be doing a test for Enterprise Ireland or Board BIA or Accenture and they're asking you to go through three or four rounds of tests and you're, who do these companies think they are, you know? <laughs> like just for a first round placement. Yeah. And that's why it's so demoralizing. But that, you got to take that in the chain because that's your job. Because I regret, you know, I applied for one job. So when I, when I was in Accenture, I kind of had the mentality, like a lot of people in other jobs, that I kind of ended up here. Rather than if you apply for a couple of jobs, let's say even three, then you have options. And I always say to my brothers, options are key, options are power. Because if you have options, then you can make a decision. And if you've made a decision, then you can hold yourself accountable. But if you just apply for one job, you kind of have the mentality that I ended up here. And, you know, is this a place I wanted to be? But I much, much prefer to have regrets of a decision I made than regrets of no decision I ever made and just ended mm. up in the place. So I, I wish I focused more on paperwork. And I would say to anybody who, who's in Fortier, especially at the start of Fortier, because people forget a lot of the job applications are in September, October, November. They hit you so fast. So fast. And, and you get better at them with time. Yeah. I mean, like, you don't, I mean, by the time you're in your seventh application, and most people never get to the seventh or eight, you're so quickly at doing it. Yeah, yeah. And you're so, and I think especially with Irish people, we hate talking about ourselves, I think. You know, I, I, I don't think we're very good at telling our own stories. And for that reason, like, as opposed to, let's say, someone very strong-minded from America who always seem to be talking about themselves or have a great narrative about themselves, they can tell you why they should get a job. But Irish people are a bit, you know... We put each other down a lot. So when it comes to application time and you've got to talk about yourself and sell yourself, I don't think we're very good. And bring that back for that reason, once you're applying to all these jobs, the seven and eight application will be better. Mm. Uh, so it's important you get at it quickly and you get all the crappy applications out of the way. So am I hearing right that you think a bad position to be in is where you're kind of drifted into somewhere and you're drifting around and you have no direction? Because that's Definitely. a position a lot of people find themselves in. Yeah, when you find yourself just in the path of least resistance. You know, which is loads of people find themselves in that. You, uh, it's it's a problem because it does get you down the way because it just it kind of just nags at you as you go on. Um, so I, I just wish I made a decision and gave myself options. Yeah, and I didn't do that. But look, I'm 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 fine. I'm living. That's funny. <laughs> I went from from the one the good one to the bad one. There, I went from absolutely gung ho for this investment bank job. Then realized and got it and was delighted, like exactly the exact seat yeah. I wanted to be in. And then I hated it. And then I went the path of, le- path of least resistance into Google then. Um, and okay. I kind of had to find my way from there then. I wasn't on a rigid path anymore. But did you feel a bit in control that you hated it because it was your decision and you knew you knew why you made it and you made a mistake and it was your mistake and you could own it? Yes, and it was the best. Both of them were the best decisions I'd ever made, I think. Because really? the decision to join it <laughs> put me into, and it's funny you use the word resistance, put me into a realm where there was so much resistance and mm. friction mm. that I had to look at that friction and understand it and observe it and take away mm. kind of takeaways from it. So I said, okay, where's the friction coming from here? It's coming from values. Okay, well, what are the values of this environment versus my own? What are each and mm. where's the friction? Uh, it's coming from, well, I guess values is probably definitely the, the main one. And mm. then the idea of where I want to go. And I had to ask myself, well, actually, if that guy's making 15 million and I still don't want to be like him, there's it's something up there, a red like, you flag know? There, yeah. yeah, and so <laughs> that became the the uh, the pusher, the the yeah. trigger for me yeah. to go and start observing my values and figuring out what they were. And did you take time out? Did you take? Did you did you go into Google then and see your time at Google as your time to look at those values further and spend some time have reassessing, or like were you buying yourself time basically? when you were going there or did you kind of think you wanted to be there no yeah more buying myself time actually which I've never admitted before but that was exactly what that was yeah and people think I left Google to go to South America to find myself that's wrong I went mm. into Google to find myself yeah and then I just went via South America on the way home to use what I found <laughs> that was exactly it yeah yeah but I think and and lots of people need to buy time right and it's best off if you need to do that do something like you did go into Google or like what I'm kind of doing as well a little bit go into somewhere like Accenture, go into um, somewhere you can get a stamp. Like, you know, and say, look, he's worked in a graduate company for two years. He's been there, he knows this, or she's been there, she knows that. Uh, because a lot of the time, and this people could disagree with me here, people buy time by doing a master's. Yeah. Okay, look, I'm not sure, I'm finished my degree. I'm not sure what I want to do. I'll do a master's. And you're much better off, in my opinion, being in a, buying time in a job 
you mightn't want to be then buying time in a master's you mightn't want to be I agree you know because especially if you're thinking about doing a master's now from what I hear from people you get so much more value out of it after you've worked a little bit yeah so uh if if you do need to buy time I would say that do what you like what you did you know go try and get into a good company see what it's like learn about the real world because I know everyone, it's so easy to say once you're out of college, but you know, the real world is not college. You know, when you're in college, you're in university, you think everything is about that and you see all these campaigns and uh, referendums and movements and you think the whole world is centered around the university. Then you get out and you realize no one really cares too mm. much about what's going on inside the universities. So I would say if, you're, if, if you want to buy time, get out of college, go to a job and then then make your next move. Yeah, for me, and I, this is actually true, even at that age, I knew this was what I wanted. I wanted to be an independent thinker first and foremost. Mm. And so mm-hmm. that was 22 and I was like, well, I did want to, I wanted to live in Australia or I wanted to live out of Ireland. Maybe that was first and foremost, but on the deep mm. end was absolutely just learn to think for myself. And it took a while and the investment Definitely. bank probably encouraged me in the opposite direction saying like, this is how you think son, don't bloody think otherwise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, uh, I pushed and I thought for myself and that's where kind of, everything good came from I would say um, would you say that you've found that you've learned more about yourself or you've been more an independent thinker after I suppose doing the, doing the entrepreneurial things you've been working yeah going? for sure because that forces it out of you yeah I think more than anything hugely absolutely and I was even talking to an old mentor of mine who and actually I'll tell this story because this is relevant yeah. uh, for the exact topic we're talking about when I let when I said okay I'm leaving the bank don't like this place I'm going to go to Google and I decided to go there for the, the culture and everything I heard about it, yeah. free food. And uh, <laughs> I did three interviews and I was going to say no and because it was a big pay cut. And then I did mm-hmm. the fourth interview with a guy called Scott Simpson, who I think gets mentioned on every episode of this. Really? And I skyped him last week. I revered this guy. <laughs> and I did an ep- uh, interview with him and I was like, I want to, like, so I couldn't find in the bank people I wanted to be like. I saw Scott and I said, I want to be like that guy. Mm. And joined and was mm. kind of... Uh, you know, had say weekly or bi-weekly one-to-ones with him and that sort of thing. So that was a huge pull to me mm. to look around, be able to see someone. Yep, I'd like to be roughly like that person, similar values, etc. Mm. Having a similar impact on people around me as he or she has on people around them. And that was, a, I think, that, I honestly, it, it sounds ridiculous or bizarre, but I think that's one of the most infor- important things to find in yeah. your early career. Because in your early career, it's not about the money you're making. No, nope. It's about who you're becoming and, and what way you're, what worldview you are forming. Yeah. And that's going to inform what you do next and what your stamp will be. Yeah, it's it just saves, and it saves so much time. If you see someone doing something that you want to be doing, then go and talk to them and see, see yeah, how they got there. Yeah, it's that simple. It really it, is. And people are so, especially like, I don't know, since you've gotten out of out of university or how many, if people message you that regularly, but there's so many college students out there that, don't realize if you see anybody in a company, even, even if they're a random or in PwC or Accenture or Google, if you message that person and say, listen, can I grab a coffee with you? You'll find that they are so happy to do it, you know, and they're so happy to, and to say, listen, can I hear your story? Yeah. And then after, after doing that, you, you might you might find your Scott Simpson. Yeah, you might yeah. find your mentor. And uh, that's kind of, I suppose, when I was in, again, in Accenture, I knew one or two people that were in it and I I knew I would like to be similar to those one or two people. Mm. And that was my best bet, you know, because there's no point, especially for jobs, you can go onto the company's websites and you can uh, go onto their testimonials, but really the only thing that gets you anywhere are conversations. Yeah. Do you mean like when you sit down and someone tells you first-hand experience, right, this is what you should expect. You don't know this, but this is what's going to happen to you. And uh, you take take that conversation, you work with it. It's the same thing with... um, like even setting up a business or setting up a charity, the only thing that ever seems to make things happen are conversations. And yeah. if you're not having, if you're going to, you're trying to get out of university and you're not having at least four or five conversations around application times of where you want to go, you surely that a red flag that you're doing something wrong there. Yeah, for sure. Get so those mentors. For listeners, uh, the way I know Dan is he, I don't know, how did oh, through Audrey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Dan approached me about a charity he was setting up called Millennial of the Year. Mm. And the tag of it got my ego perfectly hooked in and reeled in. <laughs> and we went for a cup of tea in Grand Canal, a which is really nice, actually. Pint, yeah. And yeah, I had tea, you would have pint. <laughs> and uh, we had a good chat. And so Dan, what he was doing was going set, setting up this whole Millennial of the Year, millennial of the year mm. charity slash movement, I would say, um, 
Do yeah. you want to talk a bit about that and how, how it worked and yeah. wh- why you did it? Yeah, briefly, I suppose. I mean, when we had that conversation, we didn't even, like, I didn't even know what it was. You know, again, yeah. you know, it was, again, I had an idea and I didn't even know what it was. And again, it's just, you just have a conversation with somebody, they give you feedback, and then, like you did, you, you come along the journey and then you shape it. But I suppose that was what a lot of graduates realise when they come into a job, uh, whether it's Accenture, PwC, or any of these companies, is you do actually have a bit of free time. Most people do. And um, a lot of the work, especially as analysts and lower down the food chain in a company, the lower you're down, in in my eyes, the less rewarding the work seems to be. Mm. And so after a year, you you find yourself with a bit of time. You're not really finding the job that rewarding yet because you're taking minutes of meetings or whatever, just the the life of any uh, new graduate. And you may want to fill that void. You want to do something. So I had an idea that was established I went to the One Young World conference which was in Colombia in 2017 Can I actually just add something in there I also think early on in your career when you're in a big company like that your initial Mm. thing as soon as you grasp your job is you have this yearning for purpose Yeah. and so for people out there a lot of people listening will have that that's totally normal because I had the exact same thing but yeah. I didn't do anything like what you did. So sorry, go no, on. But just it, so people know that it's a very normal thing to get. True, and it's such a millennial thing as well. Yeah, isn't for like, sure. You know, I don't know if it's, is it's, do you see that video by Simon Sinek? And he's like, he's uh, brilliant. He's so good. And he's like, he talks, these graduates come, come into the job after eight months and, he, and they're like, oh, I want to have impact. Mm. And he's like, what does that even mean? Impact, mm. you've been here eight months. But like, a lot of people find that in their job, basically. Um, and so going back a little bit, I was... Um, in Colombia. In Colombia, Accenture um, paid for me to go to Colombia and go to that conference, just a representative. And um, they kind of inspire you to do something, just to get off your ass and do something, basically. And uh, I had an idea um, that the networks effect, you know, get 10 people to get 10 people in the name of a charity um, and you might raise a lot of money. So we had, uh, the basically it worked as each person was challenged to raise a thousand euros. Uh, and while raising that thousand euros, we were given awards for who raised it the best, who raised it the fastest, uh, who raised the most awareness when raising their €1,000. So let's kind of make charity and fundraising fun and kind of gamify it, mm. if you would, you know. And uh, what I kind of, and what we were betting on is that, look, there's a lot more people out there, a lot more graduates uh, working in companies that also wanted to fill that void or wanted to do something in their spare time. And there was. So we just, we said, look, we, ha- we wanted to get 100 people to raise €1,000 to raise collectively a hundred thousand euros uh, for Down Syndrome Maryland's employability program. So there's a couple of different, uh, I suppose, Down Syndrome Maryland. I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't before that. I hadn't done too much charity work. Down Syndrome Maryland just was probably the only charity I knew knew of because of just uh, family and True friends. Friend, yeah. Um. So and we knew just it just so happened that at the time they were um, launching a new employability program. And the program was trying to get people uh, our age. So it was this is all targeted at millennials. They were trying to get um, people with Down syndrome uh, trained uh, so that they could be employed, whether that be in a hairdresser um, or in a shopping center. I think they picked seven different industries. They were training uh, millennials with Down syndrome uh, to work in. And so we were going to raise money to help launch that. So a long story short, about 150 people came forward, amazing people. Uh, who either saw us online or who people from the committee got um, and collectively raised about 100, I think the end was about 175,000 euros in I think it was 100 and something days from July to November. So we had the competitions, we had a leaderboard and on the last day we celebrated it and concluded it with a ball. It was called the Millennial Ball. It was in the Mansion House red carpet event and we the, we basically had 10 kind of personality celebrities around Ireland judging who did the best, um, who who raised the best, who raised the most. And we actually had, we had Conor McGregor's coach, John Kavanagh's uh, keynote he speaking. At, he was brilliant. Yeah. He was very good. So he was speaking about about look life and getting you motivated. We had Talia Heflin there who was voting on the uh, panel. Um we just had a cut and we had, we had a number of, I can't remember who else, who were the other 10 people? There was the guy who's married to the lady who has all the businesses. Uh, Brian Ormond. That's the one. So he, Brian Ormond emceed it. Who's his wife? Uh, it's... Pippa. Uh, Pippa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Two fantastic, uh, fantastic people. He came and just on such short notice um, and presented it. Uh, we had Shay Byrne from RTE yeah. who was um, helping out with a raffle. He was great crack he actually. He was so yeah. funny. 
and that it was all uh, it was, and you could have Leinster players there or Munster uh, players or some rugby players we did we, we had a couple of players, uh, rugby players endorsing it um, what amazed me was you had a group of 10 uh, kind of grads mm. convene every couple of weeks and when you realise okay lads we got this mountain to climb people would put up their hand and say oh well I actually my brother or my sister knows this person and that yeah. they could help with that and yeah. how people leverage the connections around them amazes me. And especially in Dublin, it just Dublin seems to be the place that is small enough but big enough. Yeah, yeah. That you know, you know somebody like that's I suppose that's what we met. You know, somebody I knew somebody that knew you. We met, and we basically like a committee of ten to twelve, in fairness, absolutely exceptional people, um, to exceptional grads who just then went out and 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 got even more numbers. But it is Dublin's kind of like that, isn't it? It's funny. You, yeah. you you're just always one step away. From someone, uh, it's pretty amazing. But I, I, I can say that when we were, I remember we, when we first met, and you talked about the idea, and talking about a hundred grand, and talking about this mad night out, and all this sort of stuff. Like it was grandiose, and it was pure mm. bubbles. And you kind of think this guy is crazy, but and people out there will have d- similar visions as well. Mm. And it really is doable. But how did you do it? So how did you stick to it? Like so, my vision of you was a lot of voice notes back and forth. And you kind of running meetings and saying, okay, guys, this is where we're at, progress week on week or every two weeks or whatever. Yeah. Uh, did you have to put many hours a week into this? Did you do it consistently? Yeah, I would say it definitely took maybe more work than my actual job. Really? So it does. And I think anything just launching. So if it's your first year setting something up, it's, you know, it's like a, what that's referenced, like a rocket spends 80% of his fuel just getting out of the atmosphere yeah, and then the rest is just fine so it's kind of like that just getting it set up and I had no clue what was going on you know I had no idea how it was going to work or who was going to help uh, sponsor it but it was kind of just um, move fast not move fast and break things just run before you can walk yeah so I was I just get up early between the hours of six and a half eight and just send it it's, it's, it's all emails you know like just trying to get people involved between the hours of six and a half eight uh, just send as many emails as I could, ring as many people as I could, send as many voice notes. I kind of looking back, I wish I had more of a plan. I suppose when you're trying to start something up, you, you never know the plan. But if you just if I could picture it out in in my wall and have milestones maybe and kind of have the time, cost and scope on very project management y stuff, I would have done that a bit more. But all I did was every day just just send emails, send voice notes. There was one thing now that I did use um very often with with, with the others. So have you heard of a Kanban board? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't so I didn't know what a Kanban board was to like. It's a Japanese project management tool. Yeah, exactly. So it's very simple. You just try and uh, write write down all the tasks that you have to do. And you have three um sections on your wall, uh, to do, doing done. And you have all your tasks uh, on the left hand side to do. And as you approach one, you start doing one, you'd put it into doing. And as you complete it, you put it into done. And it's just very simple, but sure, we're simple. You know, humans are simple mm. and you need that visual aspect to it. So on my bedroom wall, I just had a huge one of those with post-it notes. Nice. And I, like, like one of them would have been talk to Mark Maxwell, you know, or, or, or um, talk to Ashton Colwell or, or anybody else on the committee. Um, and Audrey and I would kind of, um, Audrey again was the co-founder in this, uh, would just take pictures of it or, or just update it. And that was kind of what we would... Uh, that's kind of how we worked. Yeah. Yeah, so that's all. That's my, my son, I got a load of gibberish there and trying to explain how we did it. But we just... No, uh, that makes try, sense. Trying to survival. It was just survival. Keep the head up above water. There was a lot of kind of... I wouldn't say I was close to panic attacks at the time. But there was like kind of maybe six weeks to go when you were... Maybe we didn't get as... We weren't... Didn't have a, the level of sponsorship that we thought we would have at that stage. And you're like, I remember God, that. You that know? was a worrying time because you're kind of at. <laughs> so was that worried. for you the point of no return? Because oh. okay, guys, we've made this much noise about this bloody thing, <laughs> and now we haven't sold any tables yet. Like, I I think there's there's two. There was there was that. There was a we haven't sold any tables left. Tables and with six weeks to go, uh, that that was kind of panic. But we pulled it, we we pulled it together in the end, which was fine. So that was one. But the very start, we actually had no venue to launch in. I'd kind of organised it. Uh, there was kind of just some confusion that we had a launch. Was the launch party was going to be in one of the Accenture offices? Oh yeah. For whatever reason, we couldn't have it there, and it was like ten days to go. And I was actually had already booked to go to Morocco, so I was in Morocco, and then this news came. Uh, but then uh, Audrey just rang around and just blitzkrieged the whole thing and found Fallon and Burn. 
and that was a week ago we'd know where and we were hoping 100 people would come we had no idea I think like 30 people had accepted on Facebook we thought look maybe 20 because um, even when I was pitching to you I said look what's failure we raised 20 grand you yeah. know, that was the genuine expectation um, but Audrey found um, a launch uh, venue Fallon and Burn which was actually if anybody out there is thinking of where to have an event I couldn't express enough how great Fallon and Burn is it's a lovely, lovely venue, I think, just to have something small and simple. Yeah, and they're very helpful as well. Very helpful. So yeah, that was the first panic attack. And the second one was uh, the, the sponsorship levels. But look, it all worked out in the end. Yeah. 175 grand. You wanted to raise 100. Oh, it and was, 100 was a crazy target as well. Seth. And you did 175. I should, and, and, and I don't even know where that figure came out of. You know, you just, you just I kind of... I thought you were going to say, I don't know where that went. No, I <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. I don't know where it went or half it went. <laughs> no, in first. Nice watch your way. As I said, tough the top. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, um, you had people and it was Anna Kelly that that wanted. You know, the people are raising whatever about us setting it up and all all of us doing work. It was the people who raised the money really, and I know everyone in the committee all raised money. So that was always that was a good sign of leadership. You know, people like Anna Kelly were raising. Anna Kelly raised ten grand was it or six grand in the first day or something. something it was ridiculous. It, was, it was like a grand in like oh, grand tw- twelve hours or sixteen right, hours, okay. and it was like ten or eleven grand over that period of time. It was just crazy. The th- a big thing I learned from uh, kind of half from being involved and half just from observation of you, because you're obviously the main, the quarterback of the whole thing. But having mm. someone like Audrey Shields right there, who's actually done a Grad Life podcast as well months and months ago. Mm. Um, Having someone like that there, who's just an incredible hustler, yeah. and to have that as a partner, like you know, in the trenches with you, is pretty incredible. Yeah, I wouldn't thank God that Audrey was ha- had time to commit to it and 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 wanted. Well, to she commit didn't to have it. time to commit to there it, she but didn't. she's Audrey. Like she, <laughs> yeah. she, in fairness, she she just, you know, there there was a Kanban board there, and especially at times where, um, you know, you need if you're if you're leading something. You need to obviously always remain positive, but sometimes you you know sometimes you can't. You know, sometimes oh, yeah. you can only see this is going to go absolutely down the drain. But um, Audrey is would be the type of person now that would just be pure positivity and not see yeah uh, not see the the negative sides to anything. So you need, geez, you need that and a great <laughs> a great pace setter. So yeah. when I was doing at that time, I was still doing it. I was doing the grad recruitment thing on my own. I didn't have a pace setter with me. And so for mm. the days that I was like, oh, geez, this, screw this, I'm going to the beach. It'd be, yeah. uh, to have a pace setter there would be invaluable. Yeah. And then even when I joined up with the other guys, there still wasn't that pace setter because everyone had jobs. Mm. And learning what a pace setter can do for a project is, is that was an invaluable lesson for me throughout all that. Huge. And so- seeing you get it right was like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. Audrey seems to be is, has an, an ability to be so much more calm about things at time, which is which is great. It's what yeah. you need. Someone just to be absolutely calm and say, "No, we're fine. Yeah. This is what's going to happen. This is where we're going." What? I, so, twenty fourth of November, you go up and you have the big night and you do an incredible speech. And yes. from mm. then, you're probably hung over on twenty fifth of November, which mm. was what? That was a, a, a Saturday, Sunday. That was a Sunday. So twenty seventh Monday, you walk into work. Millennial of the year is over. What was that like? Because that's four months of non-stop overtime, yeah. overdrive, Gosh. and then all of a sudden it's done. And but, you've achieved your goal, but it must be anticlimactic in some way. It definitely is. It, it's Well, the first feeling is, is relief. Right. To be honest, you know, if you're like, thank God it worked out. Yeah. You know, thank God John Kavanagh came. Mm. Thank God Brian Armand said all the right thanks, and thank God we raised so much money. And uh, it's just, it's a huge come down. You yeah. know, after four months of uh, it being in your head every single day. And to be honest, you're so wired for that time. It t- it took me at least a month or two just to actually get back to normal. Yeah. Because there's just so Couldn't many things happening. Is. Yeah. But then you kind of miss it then. You know, that, that kind of, that amount of energy you want to put into something and you're back at your job and it happens all over again. You're God, I'm not having much impact again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, it, and it does a full circle. Um, But, you know, I think a lot of people out there one, because a lot of companies give charity days. Yeah. You know, and and most, I think, I don't know the stat is in Accenture, but it's definitely less than 20% of people use them. Right. You know, and like we have two days a year to be using uh, those days and a little can go s- such a long way. And I think a lot of people in life, they kind of, I think every probably has one charity or maybe they have two or three, but people seem to pair up with charities. And if you have the time in first and second year, um, you know, 
try and try and find what your charity is. Yeah. You know, and um and if it's just two days a week, then that's huge. That's a lot more than anybody else you're spending time doing that's that. It's incredible, yeah. It's like um like one of the things that annoy me about I don't know, about about Ireland is uh, transition year. You know, like I just and I don't know if it was one of the presidential candidates there I can't remember the change they suggested to make for transition year students. But there's absolutely no reason. Sorry, did you do transition year? I did. Was it a waste of time for you, or did you? Uh, I was playing pretty serious sports. Oh, so it was sorry, just like a sport camp for me. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. But I think for all those people, it was a waste of time. Yeah. yeah. For the first normal people, uh, it's 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 a complete waste of time. And there's so many life skills that aren't taught in school, mm. and that uh, that you know could be, and that your parents don't actually have time to teach you, especially in the modern day where two parents are always working. There's so many life skills you don't get. Almost so, we talk about it later in the future. I'd be happy to homeschool my kids for a certain period of the year and say, listen. Great, school's fantastic. Here's actually what you need to know. Um, but going back to transition year, they should use that time. Like, why isn't it mandatory that 16-year-old, 17-year-old transition year students don't have to spend a certain amount of that, maybe one day a week with a charity? You know, because I'd say, for example, um, share, I think it's a share in Cork that that um, work a lot with, with, with the elderly. So many elderly people don't get a chance to see anybody young. Mm. You know, and, and, and everybody who has an old uh, granddad or granny you know, if you go into the nursing home, you go into their own home, you see the, the genuine joy that old people will get from just seeing a young person. And there are students across Ireland, 16-year-old students, who are doing absolutely nothing, no fault of their own. And they should be spending one day a week just in a charity. And they would learn so much out of that one day a week, more than what they all, more than what they learn today in the whole year. You know, it's just like life. You know, you come out of university, you go into the working world, you learn more about life, and that's where you get more of a master's if you go back and do it. If you go in transition and start going to a charity, you learn more about life again. Mm. So it's just things like that. It, it is rewarding. You do get a lot back. And um, yeah, I just would recommend if you're a graduate, find your charity, use your charity days. Uh, I don't know, is obviously the president, President Michael Higgins isn't listening to this to make <laughs> it mandatory for transition year students to get involved in charities. But that's, I think transition year is complete waste. Sorry, that's a, I got a bit of wayward there. If, uh, if Michael Lee Higgins was listening to this, he might be afraid you're gunning for his job. <laughs> Would you I be right? I don't know. I, I can't, what, there's a limit on the age of, is it 35 to be? Or yeah, is it 30? It is. Yeah, you have to be 35. It's 30 or 35, yeah. it's one of them. Is it 30? Would you do it? Would you want to? Would you be attracted to it? I don't know if I'd be attracted to be president. I think anybody would be attracted to be Taoiseach. If you especially, if you, if you look. I'd be more attracted to president than Taoiseach. Would you? Yeah. Why? Could you, could you not do more as Taoiseach? Or do you, is it more kind of your personality? It depends on, so half and half. It depends on the, uh, on the nature of the impact that you want to have, right? Yeah. So the, mm. and, I, and, and I've thought about this on a shallow level. So not like, yeah. not like uh, having kind of looked in and said, okay, these are the things I would do in each. But like, we, I remember debating, would you be president or Taoiseach? When I look at someone like uh, Obama or any of any people I look up to, that the impact they have had on me is pretty amazing. Mm. And then when I go in and look at the nitty gritty of them, that impact gets diluted. Even though that that impact was kind of almost false in, mm. in, 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 in born out of a false <coughs> image I have of them. Mm. When I go in and look at the nitty gritty of it all, it ends up being pared back a bit. And so to have, I, I really admire the impact they had on me. And to have that impact on people when you're president, you can do it and keep it clean. Look at everyone. Michael Lee Higgins is amazing. But then when you, you look at Leo Varadkar and Leo Varadkar, like to do, to achieve what he achieved is amazing. Mm. To be a mm. gay guy. Uh, what's his, what's his, what's his background? Is is uh, he second generation Irish or first? His father, just funny, I'm actually just reading his book at the moment. And right. I'm a couple pages in. So his father was Indian. So he first, and yeah. met his mother, who was Irish, over in India, I think, and then they moved to England. Didn't enjoy England, came to Ireland, uh, but seemingly now I haven't read the book fully, but seemingly that man was obsessed, like from the age of eight, saying to he run, wanted to be the minister really. of health. But to run, uh, to to become the leader of a country of a traditionally Catholic kind of all white country mm. from a homosexual half Indian mm. background is pretty amazing. Yeah, and so I'd be more impressed by him than by Michael D Higgins. But then when people don't agree with his politics, all of a sudden his impact gets diluted and people say, ah, oh, yeah, but the, the the conversation gets dragged down into all this yeah, crap instead. I know That's the only reason I see more impact in a president than in a, 
It depends on the nature of the impact you want to have. It's true. It's true. No, that, and, and like, like, just so I understand this right. So you, when you mentioned Barack Obama, obviously a great orator, orator, and a great, a great, um, you know, intellectual. And you're saying, yeah, has great impact on you. But then you, you look deeper and you see whatever he he bombed a whole other people, or you look and you see he voted against gay marriage previously. Is that what you mean? That it yeah. kind of dilutes all that stuff. Okay, where they would say you, he wasn't a very effective politician because he couldn't push things yeah. through con- Congress. Yeah. This sort of thing. Um, I get you. So it, 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 this is what it is. It's do you want to inspire or do you want to uh, enact structural or legislative change? Yeah. And, and I would be more inclined towards inspiring. And I think, I agree, I agree with you. I would just hope that if, if one was Taoiseach, if I was Taoiseach, I'm sure anybody would hope this if they were Taoiseach, that you could legislate and action enough that your actions would inspire. You know, if you could make, if you could make so much change uh, and turn the country around... Uh, after whatever you need five or ten years that you know you'd be wow you know that was pretty impressive but you're right the I road, would imagine the that Radcliffe would have aimed for the same thing he I imagine he will now I don't follow Irish politics that much I, I enjoy international relations I don't follow I think Irish politics uh, is a bit boring but yeah I, I don't know he can't do much with um she doesn't have a majority, I suppose, so you can't Man, do anything. I don't even know that. I, know, I literally know nothing about Irish politics. It's just <laughs> something that I've debated with people before, a president or Taoiseach, and that's the, yeah, that's the I, kind of answer I I've will given. say, I, what I've heard from the taxi men, because I don't know who said the it. The taxi men are my biggest source of information. Uh, I, don't know, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where I've heard it, but someone's like, if you can get the taxi man on your side, honestly, you, have, you have Ireland. Honestly, uh, that's it's actually true. such wise words. <laughs> it, it is. Gets, you need, like, I don't know if there's a politician that went into taxis and, and would talk about his policies. That maybe it stemmed from that. But if you can get the taxi man behind you, you have the country. And uh, I was having it in a taxi there recently and he was just telling me that Faradikar is more interested in the colour of his socks, matching his tie than, than anything else. Uh, so... Which seems to be a lot of people say that, you know, whatever Faradikar, he he's a media machine. You know, yeah. that's what he's good at. Yeah. Uh, so. I think his voice is the exact same as Brian O'Driscoll's. If they were both on the radio, I wouldn't know who it was. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about Brian O'Driscoll's voice to to confirm or, or go against that. But I, I think he's a bit robotic. Like, even like any speeches he gave. Now, I, he came out and he's talking about that. Uh, I don't know that poor girl's name that was shot up in the north. We're getting very political here. But, you know, he came out and spoke and I just remember being, God, that wasn't great. You know, yeah. it wasn't very moving. And uh, surely you can have a bit more, a bit, like a bit more of Michael D. Higgins in him. Yeah, you know, sure. You'd hope for that. But I think he's just such a careful politician. He just uh, ends up being processical about it all. So, uh, so back to it. You w- would, would politics be something you'd be interested in? Because you're a guy who's working in business and clearly intelligent. Mm. But then probably, I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong. More guided by the kind of social side than the uh, commercial or capitalist side. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I suppose. Yeah, I would be. I de- I definitely would be interested in politics. Uh, I'm looking at a couple of uh, masters now um, in kind of economic policy and international relations. Okay. Uh, across places. Oh, and if I did go with that, he's running for it. <laughs> if I did do that and I came back and you genuinely genuinely had uh, thought you could make a difference. Then yes, but there's, there's you know there's there's a load of other things you you want, might want to do down the line. I I'd love to go back to uh, China, learn Chinese. Yeah, that's been know. on the radar for you for a while now. It is because you know. <sighs> so sorry to give people context. When were you there before you were there at college for a year? So I was there in third year college. So that would have been 2014, 2015. Yeah. And you know, it's like you know whether you like whether you like or not technology. Uh, it's going to be a part of your life and even more so down the line. Whether you like or not China, it's going to be a huge part of your life down the line. And I mean, if you look at the papers, I mean, people don't realise like th- there's a cold war going on right now and it's between America and China and the AI race is on and nobody's talking about it and it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy that nobody's talking about this. They are just not, not so openly. People need to get on the China train and the sooner we do it, the better. What happens when you're on the China train? What does that look like? Uh, well, like the, like getting the most, in there and doing business well, the, in there. The most obvious thing would be there the, the Belt Road Initiative, where they're trying to have uh, create a whole new infrastructure from Shanghai to Paris and going through Pakistan, going through Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan. What? Yeah, the the Belt and Road Initiative is kind of like a hundred year project that China um, are trying to implement. And it's, it's a soft power, you know, the same way America has a naval base in, in so many countries around the South. Yeah. Trying to see, they're trying to basically 
get all the countries involved in this infrastructure project to make kind of a belt that reflects the the belt 500 years ago of the Great Silk Road. Yeah, sure. So, I was just so, thinking Silk Road. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, in other words, the, the, the new Silk Road. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to create that and, and what involvement of that would look like and it's, it's pretty controversial at the moment. You know, they might uh, uh, build a port in your country. They might build a huge highway and they'll come over and uh, they'll build those projects. I mean, if you go to Shanghai, the one thing that you'll, you'll step away from visiting that, that city is the high-speed rail network. It's just incredible all across China. So their infrastructure building is incredible. So if you get involved in that initiative, and America t- will tell you, no, don't, you get a lot of uh, infrastructure projects, a lot of loans. Yeah, right. Now, whether they'll, they'll bring you into their sphere and, and put you under pressure because of those loans is a different question. You don't know. But uh, the China train just means... Uh, I mean, when I was working in China, we a couple of projects were working on getting Chinese people were investing in in Ireland, um, and the, if they invested a certain amount of money, uh, they would get a short term visa, and they right. could live in Ireland. So you'll probably see a lot more Chinese people coming uh, to live in Ireland. I mean, you can see it if you go down that the worst street in Dublin was called Na- is it Nassau Street, where there's just buses oh, everywhere. Buses, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I hate that street. Uh, I mean, if you go there at any stage throughout the day you'll see that the number of Chinese people is, but is that increasing but mostly tourists day day. Trinity right mostly tourists but just the numbers are increasing and yeah, that's the first right. sign but as, as time goes on you'll see more people living here and that's kind of what the China train looks yeah, like so yeah. you'll see a lot more Chinese languages being offered so look it's 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 a long term thing next yeah. 50, 100 years whatever but and what would you want to do over there so like if you um, went over what would you do I would see I would like just in, in a title I would like to be I suppose Mr. China you know the go-to person Liam Casey You're Mr. Liam China Casey is take Cork over Cork Liam already. Casey from Cork yeah uh, so take take over Liam Casey's job no learn Chinese understand China and, and maybe be that bridgeway between between the EU and China um, that would probably uh, that would probably be what would interest me what that consists of I don't know but well, you'd the, find that the out Irish along the way of China here uh, I don't that know. would be the dream for you yeah. politics China I don't see there's even but government like Ambassador is different. Department of Foreign Affairs is a very honourable job, be a great job, but it's still pu- uh, public life and be a bit slow. Yeah, right. I'd rather stay private or else sure. go with the government and, and, and run the DFA from outside there. Yeah. Um, so not not the ambassador, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Whatever Mr. China is, I'm not sure, but something like that. Who Basically, should learn Chinese <sighs> in college? Everybody. But uh, that's, a, that's the quick answer. Um, if... If you're outgoing, if you're uh, open-minded, if you kind of if you're malleable, okay, and you can last in China, right? Because there used to be moments where you're living in China, and you might be walking through uh, a Walmart and seeing um, a, a, a Chinese granny holding their kid down to go to the toilet in the aisle, or you might be walking through China and you might have someone just spitting you. Or you might be in the Shanghai metro and someone is pushing you inside the metro, you know, hired to push you inside the metro to fit in. So there are moments in China where you're just, I can't do this anymore. God. But if you can if you can outlast that, and that's the worst part, right? I'm not telling you about the exciting parts because there's too many. There'll be moments like that and you look at your friends and, and we'd always say, TIC, this is China. Yeah. And you just have to deal with that. If you're resilient, open-minded enough to live in China, then you should learn Chinese. And if you're extremely entrepreneurial, because the, the opportunity there is is ridiculously big. It's unfathomably big. It is. Now, having said that, people under, I, I know one entrepreneur in um, in China at the moment, and he's building up his business. But, you know, it, it's taken, people forget, you know, if you want to start a business, you probably need, what, five years yeah. at least to really make it successful. And people uh, see China as a huge market, but because you're not in there, you don't see the barriers. And it is, it is, barriers are, are huge and it's difficult you know and, and a lot is working against you but again if you're resilient enough and a couple of and a co- along the way you're okay with having your hands in your head and having tears in your eyes and saying I can't do this then then go and do it because yeah. it's like people go to America all the time and I'm like I, not me I'm not going to America because the competition out there is way too much you know there's Americans out there who have huge loans and just dedicated to being completely competitive but if you go over to Shanghai, there's so many less Westerners out there. And I hate to say there's an advantage as a Caucasian person being out in, in China. They look upon Westerners differently, you know. They kind of, for some reason, give you um, a kind of a regard of, of maybe being 
more intellectual or being knowing more about business. I don't know what it is, but they look upon Westerners kindly there. Yeah, right. So there's less competition, which makes life easier. So I would say, put your money in China, go and learn a bit of Chinese. Do you need Chinese to go over and do it? To go over and take no, advantage of that? You don't. And I should, I, I should have said that that's, that's very true point. You don't. Uh, and a lot of the time, um, you know, you're never going to be able to be in a, well, very rarely be in a, a negotiation room and know 100% just even the the little intricities of what Chinese people are saying to yeah. that level, you know, that even, you know, if, if an American person came to an Irish negotiation table, they mightn't be able to cash on exactly what we're saying. So if you're talking about that level, you'll never know that in Chinese, so you don't need to know it. Uh, but you should definitely go over there and try it. Jeez, that's so funny. If an American came over, you're like, you're negotiating in front of him another Irish guy. You could literally speak English in front <laughs> of him and he wouldn't know. She's like, she's by his head in your man. <laughs> you actually, you wouldn't have a clue. Honestly, yeah. It's like a second language, but I think, look, you, you have to be different in the world and Chinese is a quick route to it. You know, yeah. if you've been to China, like I, I always I remember we were trying to decide what we'd have on the back of our college hoodies in first year commerce and Chinese. We ended up not getting hoodies because everybody was fighting about this. But I want to say, look, I, I can speak to one billion more people than you. Yeah, right. And like, if if you learn Chinese, it's just such a quick differentiator. Yeah. Say, I can go to China for you. I can, look, if it's Liam Casey and he wants someone to go to China and do a job, I've been there, I know the people, I know Shanghai, let me do it. If you can do that, you're, you've differentiated yourself greatly already. Yeah. Uh, but, and it's much harder as opposed to going to America and trying to differentiate yourself with all that competition. Mm. Not me. Yeah, fair enough. No, no, I, think, I think that's that, that's a big uh, eye-opener for people to, to realise that that's there. We mm. have a, a limited time left. There's two things I want to go through. One mm. is the quick-fire questions, which are always one. And the second one is just um, the uh, millennial of the year went so well. Mm. And so did 100 Minds years ago, uh, like a few years ago. Mm. And they did a year, two, year, three, year, four, five maybe. And around year four, I think it kind of got smaller. Yeah, and I don't know if they're still doing it. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. Just don't know. But have you talked to those guys, or have you tracked their their uh, <clears throat> kind of what they did, their journey so far? And are you going to continue with Millennium mm. of the Year? So I haven't, I haven't talked to them. I haven't tracked them. To be honest, what, what we all agreed on after November twenty fourth is let's just really take some downtime and not even think about it. But like literally, as we're having this podcast. Those discussions are kind of starting now. Really? Um, well just, in just, advance of where they did start last yeah, year, right? Yeah, I mean, last yeah. year, we were only six weeks before they started. So if you if you, if you you want to do the second year, and nothing's confirmed or anything like that, um, because you know, if you want to do the second year, it's a lot easier, right? Yeah. So that's why you have more time to discuss it. Uh, I think like 100 Minds and Millennial of the Year, none of these things will last forever. And they're all dependent on energy. Uh, and also, you know, things evolve up and pop up out of nowhere and take momentum uh, and that's just the way it works so those kind of discussions are happening now and seeing like what kind of reality are we in you know are, are the people who started in the country you know are the people who started it have the time to do it so to be honest to be brutally honest those, they're just happening now and seeing yeah, what the right. options are uh, but yeah it, it, it works so well you, you definitely try and give it a second go but uh, again it's just it's dependent it's dependent on energy and availability and all those things you know, uh, so we'll have to see. Yeah, fair enough. Mm. Okay, quick fires. I'm trying to remember what they all were. Okay, um, so this is just, you're asking me questions and I just Yeah, answer. only there's a load of pressure and if you fuck it up, then you've I let yourself down hugely. I can't censor myself. God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, book to recommend. Uh, Tarzan of the Apes. Tarzan of the Apes or Planet of the Apes or Tarzan? Tarzan of the Apes is the best fiction book ever written. So, so that's that's the fiction book I would recommend. If I had to recommend a non-fiction book, actually, this is if you, if you take away anything, please take this away from from the podcast. Buy a book called The Cyber Effect, and it's written by an Irish cyber psychologist called Dr. Mary Aiken. Aiken, I'm not sure. She works in UCD, um, and she talks about what social media and what the cyber world is doing to us uh, and what's doing to our mind. And it's just absolutely crazy. That the, book will educate me and make me sad at the same time. It, I'm, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's a stark book. It really is. Buy it, The Cyber Effect. It's a quick, easy read. It's an Irish author. Um, and it's really, really interesting. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And Tarzan of the Apes. Is that just fiction? People just forget that Tarzan was a book first. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's a great, great story. Uh, so like, and it's, again, it's, it's, it's a really easy read and you don't know, I mean, Tarzan is a part of all of our childhood and the, the, if you think the cartoon is good, what actually happened in the book is incredible. I mean, there's 12 Tarzan of the Apes books. 12 right, of okay. them. There's Tarzan of the Apes, uh, The Return of Tarzan, Tarzan the Terrible. Did you uh, the read them Son as of Tarzan. I started reading them when I was about 16 and I, uh, I read one about maybe three or four years ago. Um, okay, I haven't read all so, 12 so late teenagers because I'm wondering who of the audience would, would dig oh, it like. oh it's a hard book it's a hard book to read yeah, really, you, yeah. You, if you're yeah, if you're a university student get Tarzan of the Apes yeah right Give it, it's a great fiction book okay. people forget how, how good fiction is absolutely and some, and I love that because most people on the podcast would always recommend uh, non-fiction but fiction is <sighs> better crack it is it's, and uh, people always make um, you know if reading I don't know where I saw this reading fiction puts you into other people's mindsets. Yeah. You're reading about characters and their feelings and it's meant to drastically increase your empathy levels. Yeah. Which is always, which, which is better yeah. than any non-fiction recommendation. You're hearing the, the sides of more diverse characters, I guess, than you usually would. Yeah. Anyway, this isn't very quick fire. Sorry, apologies. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's good though. Um, a movie to recommend? Uh, the Prestige is probably... That's the magician one. The magician one. Uh, Hugh Jackman, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, right. I, I know for a fact it is the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> the one I watched recently, which had me in absolute tears, was The Fault in Our Stars. Oh my um, God. It's unbelievable. Maybe I relate to the guy because he's dying, but fucking hell. I haven't. Unreal. I worked in the Omniplex cinema when that came out and just the cinema just got flooded out of people, people in tears. People just crying, oh, yeah. just absolutely volunteering. Yeah, I cry in the cinema way too much. Um, something you <laughs> wish you did in college? Uh... Do work experience. I, I think if I oh, did yeah. work experience for six months, I would have been so much more prepared for coming out of college. Yeah, that's big. Something you wish you did as a grad? Um, more uh, certifications, more exams. People forget oh, yeah. as you come out, you have a lot of time that you don't get further down the line. So if you're thinking about the CFAs or the CMAS or whatever certifications, get them done early because you mm -hmm. have the time and you're in study mode. Uh, most important lesson you've learned in your career so far? Uh I suppose that everybody's winging it. Yeah, that's you true. Know, so the, honestly, the whole... that at the end of the day, I came into work and I was thinking this, I thought coming to Accenture, a big business, a big global brand, what's the workplace going to be? And I'm like, it's just moms and dads. Everyone has imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and it's, it's, everyone's winging it. Nobody really knows what they're talking about. And it's just moms and dads and people. You know, it's crazy. So, I don't know if Accenture would approve of this. Yeah, <laughs> it's too bad. Uh, best lesson in life so far? Best lesson in life. God, I wasn't ready for these now. Um, That's my plan. You're nerdy there. I would probably go back to something I, I already said, which is to uh, stop overestimating what you can do in one year. Yeah. And you underestimating what you can do in 10. So try and get that down. Like you said, work on your values first and get the long-term plan because if you can, it saves so much time and so, so much money. Best... Oh, no, that's, I thought that was advice, but yeah, best lesson. Okay. Uh, someone you look up to that you can, that these guys can look up and your Google or read about or whatever. Uh, okay. I think people should just look up Simon Sinek. Yeah. I think he's, he's very good. And if not that, I know a lot of people don't like Jordan Pearson, but they should look at Jordan Pearson and focus on his work that talks about bearing responsibility. If you and don't like him, that's more of a reason to look him up to, because too, too many people these days only read one side. <laughs> Oh, it's crazy. Or side. stay in their echo chamber. You yeah, know, yeah. And, and and Jordan Pearson is the most misunderstood person out there. Whatever you, you think about him, go and go on. He's 500 hours of, of YouTube videos. Go on to his work where he talks about taking on responsibility and the meaning it will give you. And uh, if, you, if, you, if you Google that, you'll, you'll be a better person for it. Uh, I love watching him, but it frustrates me because whoever he's talking to isn't listening. No. They always just want to argue with him rather than actually listen to what he's saying and take it in. It, it drives me nuts. Well, it's crazy. So people are just so ready to be offended. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. that They want him to offend them. Like, it's so they, they want to just swing at him. It's crazy. So whoever gets offended first wins. Yeah. That's the way the world it works honest, now. Geez, yeah. Whoever gets offended first wins. It's like, like you're shooting at the hip. Boom. Offended first. True. I win. You see it in work as well. It's like, what, like being even in Accenture uh, and, and loads of these companies is honestly... Day to day, like walking through a minefield. Yeah. You know, just not trying to offend someone. It's but, nuts. Uh, yeah. It is. And Look. last one for you, uh, quote to live by. Oh. 
If you don't like something, change it. Nice. Or change your attitude to it. Yeah, that's one of the, that, that would be one nice. The there's, there's loads more quotes I could give you, but that's that's probably will get you halfway to where you need to be. That'll get you halfway to where you need to be, <laughs> folks. Which is next week on the Mark Maxwell podcast. Next week. <laughs> well, one thing I've never actually done is advertise on this, which is ridiculous since it's my own platform yeah. and it's free for me to advertise. You should be telling people. So if anyone wants career guidance help or is stuck in their 20s with direction, what they're going to do next, etc., do give me a shout um, on mark at markmaxwell.ie. Um, I've also got a site, markmaxwell.ie. Um, so just look me up, hit me up there. And more than happy to chat and to help you give help give a bit of direction. Yeah, because you do give good directions. So thank you very much, sir, and thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Will I shake your hand or are you sneezing? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not sneezing. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you very much.